Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. I want to take a, a quick moment to thank everyone who prayed for Seth and prayed for me while we were in Cuba. Thank you for praying for our protection and that God would use us. And hopefully in later July we'll be able to share those stories with you. I just want to tell you 470 people were presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how hungry they are. 420 said on their own that they wanted to pray to receive Jesus Christ. 420. May God add a blessing to the great work that God is, the church is doing in Cuba and that God is using them to do. Let us read now from the Holy Scriptures. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Beloved, what do we know about God's Word? Heavenly Father, we come to You now. We humble ourselves before Your, your Word, Your holiness, Christ, we humble ourselves before You and we say that we desire to be Your disciples and we hear the hard things that You have said and we pray for the grace to receive it and to live it. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You may be seated. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose, spoken by a great man, Jim Elliott, who would pay the ultimate price in the jungles of Ecuador, taking the Gospel to those who lived enslaved by Satan's kingdom. A little fact about Jim Elliott and the missionaries who traveled with him that you might not know. On the day that they were to lose their lives for the sake of the Gospel, at the ends of spears and suffer probably great torture before they died. They made sure that they had guns on the airplane that they traveled into the jungles. They had the ability to defend themselves, but they didn't. They gave up their lives so that those who were taking their lives would have an opportunity to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, is that the kind of commitment that we see in the American church today? I believe it's here. I believe it's in the American church, but I don't believe it's as strong as it used to be. And the reason I don't believe it's as strong as it used to be begins with the teaching that has come out from the pulpits of America. And Dr. McGee has referenced this numerous times since I've been here, beginning last September. He's referenced what is called the Lordship Controversy. There is preaching and teaching that states you can be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can be a believer without having to take up the mantle that Jim Elliott took up and at least be willing to sacrifice your life for the cause of Christ. Friends, so-called many Christians today in America won't even sacrifice Sunday morning to go to worship, let alone lay down their lives. When Jesus calls a man to come unto Him, He bids him, come and die. It's never changed. It's what He said to the disciples that followed Him. It's what He said to the crowds that would come after Him. And it's never changed. The call to Christianity and the call to the discipleship are one and the same. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're coming to lay down your life. Peter didn't get this. The disciples didn't get it at first. In fact, we pick up in chapter 16 in Caesarea Philippi, and the disciples finally hear what they've been waiting to hear. Jesus asks them, who do men say that I am? And they give the popular answers of the day. And then He asks, but who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately responds, I recognize you. I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter had been given divine revelation, and I don't know if he was speaking on behalf of all the disciples or just himself, but all but one of those disciples would come to that conclusion. They had been given divine revelation 
What does that mean? They had been given the Spirit of the living God. They had been made alive. They had been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Jesus says to them, now that you understand this, I want you to know that I'm going to set up my work right at the doorstop of hell. I'm going to come down and, my, and the reason I came down was to set up my kingdom in the most desperate, darkest places in the world where hell is wreaking havoc and I'm going to establish my church there and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I can hear the disciples saying, yes, this is what we've been waiting to hear. Of course, they weren't thinking what Jesus was thinking. They were thinking, He's going to establish Israel right at the gates of hell. The Roman Empire. He's going to overthrow the Romans. And then, did you hear what Jesus said? He's given us the keys to the kingdom. Can you imagine the excitement among the disciples? We've got the keys to the kingdom. He's the king. He's the anointed one. He's the one that's going to bring Israel back into to prominence and overthrow the Romans and overthrow all our enemies. And we're going to ride in on His coattails as Israel's champions. Sounds like prosperity preaching, doesn't it? And then Jesus takes a pin and He sticks it right in their bubble. And He says, by the way, let me tell you what this means. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to suffer many things. And on the third day, I'll be risen from the dead. What? What did he just say? He just said, he affirmed that he's the Messiah, the King. He affirmed that he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. He affirmed that we're going to get to have the king, the keys to the kingdom. And now he's talking about dying and sacrificing his life. Put yourself there with the disciples for just a moment. Can you hear the confusion in their minds? We would be confused too. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Lord, be it far from you. That's never going to happen. And I think what Peter meant, I think he was sincere, is I'll take up sword and defend you. This kingdom is going to succeed. Be positive, Jesus. Talk positively. Let your confession be positive. Peter was the first self-help guru. <laughs> and Jesus rebukes him. And he says, Peter, you're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. All Peter was thinking about was his popularity, his ease, his comfort, his prestige. He did not want his life with Jesus to be bothered by the outside world. And Mark's Gospel tells us, Jesus, uh, or Matthew doesn't say this, but Mark's Gospel tells us that Jesus turns to the crowds and He calls them over. And He calls His disciples over and He says, listen to Me. If you're going to come after Me, it's going to mean something. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. Number one, if you're going to be a true disciple of mine, 
It means self-denial. Number two, you're going to have a cross to bear. Number three, you're going to have to persevere in obedience until the end. That, my friend, is the call to discipleship. We are not called to Christ first to be Christians, and then some of us Christians reach this great maturity called discipleship. That is nowhere found in Scripture. It's taught in pulpits across America, and I think some of those men are trying to defend justification by faith alone, but what they do is they rob it of its power. They they, They totally gut the Gospel by separating what cannot be separated. If you are a Christian, if you've been made alive by the Spirit of God, if God's Spirit dwells in you and you have been brought from the kingdoms of darkness to the kingdom of light, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to hear it. Everyone who knows that to be true, I want to hear you say, I'm a disciple. disciple. Say it with conviction. I'm a disciple. disciple. Alright, now let me tell you what it's going to cost you. What does Jesus mean that true discipleship will cause us to self-denial? True discipleship means self-denial. That's my first point. It means that you have to abandon all self-confidence and come to Jesus. That's the first call of the Gospel. It's not Jesus plus your good works. It's not Jesus plus all your self-esteem. It's not Jesus and your effort to earn heaven. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And the first call to the disciple is you must abandon every effort to save yourself and trust in Me and Me alone. That is the first call to self-denial. That we trust in Christ and Christ alone. It's another way of saying, as Jesus said, that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are we mourning? We are mourning our sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those who mourn over sin, those who hunger and thirst for, self, uh, for righteousness that cannot be found in themselves are those who are learning self-denial. What else does it mean to be called to a life of self-denial? It means that we have to abandon a lifestyle that is self-centered. We have to abandon a life that is centered around what we want, what we desire, What can we get out of every situation for ourselves? The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. 
Jesus died that those who believe in Him might no longer live for themselves, but live for Him and for, this, and for their sake He died and was raised. Take a quick inventory of this week in your mind. Can you say that your life reflects that verse? Have you lived in such a way that people know that you are a disciple of Christ because you're denying yourself? Or is all of your life wrapped up in your pleasure, your comfort, your ease? What does a self-centered life look like? It looks like this. All I need is me. I don't need you. I don't need God. I am the self-sustaining one. All I need is my effort, my intelligence, my power. Number two, it's a life that's focused only on what you want and lived out of selfish desires. Number three, self-centered living and self-centered people people who have not learned to deny themselves constantly talk about themselves. What they've done, what they want, what they've accomplished. They are unable to put others first. And here's a big one. They're unable to receive correction. You want to know one of the most telling signs that you are learning to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus is that you don't always have to be right. You don't have to win every argument. Your idea doesn't always have to carry the day. You realize that God has given the other people in the room a brain too. And you're not eager to defend yourself. Self-denial means... When you can defend yourself, you act like Christ. And you refuse to. What does God-centered living look like? It looks like dependence upon God. It looks like living to please Him and not yourself. It looks like talking about Christ and His kingdom even when it might cost you a raise, your occupation, Friends and family. Jesus said it this way, if your love for me... Well, this is a paraphrase. He literally said, if you don't hate your father and mother and be willing to forsake brother and sister and come after me, you're not worthy of me. Now, he doesn't mean that you have a vindictive hatred against your parents because they didn't give you what you wanted. He means that if your love and commitment isn't your loving commitment for me doesn't make every other commitment look very small. You're not worthy of me. That's what Jim Elliot was getting at when he wrote the words, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was a man who had learned self-denial and dependence upon Jesus Christ. A great example of self-denial in the Scriptures is Timothy. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, 
I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interest, not for those of Jesus Christ. But, G- but, P- but Paul was saying, but I've got this young man who has learned what discipleship really looks like and he is learning self-denial and he is really concerned about the sheep and wanting to put them first. Timothy did not live his life thinking, what's in it for me? How much will it cost me? Or let somebody else do it. It's just too hard. Timothy didn't live that way. He sought to lay down his life. The Apostle Paul had other examples of those who left him for worldly pleasures, forsook him in his deepest need when he was in prison and left him, but not Timothy. True discipleship means self-denial. Friends, if God's Spirit lives in you, He has called you to live a life of self-denial. Number two, true discipleship means taking up your cross. You've probably heard people say before, I have a heavy cross to bear. And what they mean are different illnesses, financial troubles, unhappy marriages. To them, those are crosses, but that is not what Jesus is talking about. Those are trials. Those are difficulties that come to every man, to every woman. They come because we live in a fallen world. What Jesus is talking about, first and foremost, is you may actually have to give up your life. It's not a metaphor in in the first sense. You may have to lay down your life for me. And ten of the eleven disciples, minus Judas, ten of the eleven would do exactly that. Do you know how many Christians in the 20th century and now into the 21st century, not counting all the centuries before since Christ's death and resurrection, have paid the ultimate price? And we have a hard time walking across the street to talk to our neighbor. We have a hard time throwing a block party and throwing down a couple hundred dollars Not buying Starbucks coffee for about a month, that'll get you there. So that we can show that our our neighbors, that we really love them and care about them. True discipleship means being willing, whether it actually comes to fruition or not, but being willing to give up your life. And you may say... Paul, I don't think I could do that. I think I would be like one of the Christians who denied Christ and went back whimpering to the church looking for forgiveness. Well, you don't know the whole story. That happened throughout the centuries. But the church brought them back in, forgave them, restored them, and many of them went back out and gave their lives. I know in America that seems far-fetched. But let me just say, 
if it ever comes to that, God's grace will be there to sustain you. Read the testimony of Polycarp, early church father. They said the leaders didn't want to, did not want to kill him. And they said, if you'll just turn, if you'll just deny with your words, you can go on living your life. And Polycarp said, 86 years, Christ has been nothing but faithful to me. How can I deny Him now? And the Christians who witnessed His being burnt alive said that such grace and power was upon Him that only the hand of God could explain it. But for many of us, for most of us, maybe for all of us, we will not pay the ultimate price. So, what else does picking up your cross mean? It means that you set aside the self-centered desires and you say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do we do that perfectly? No. Is it our desire? If you're a believer, if God's Spirit lives in you, it is your desire to be able to say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Meaning, my life no longer belongs to me. By an act of my will, I have set aside my desires. I have denied myself. I have picked up the cross. What does that mean? I identify with His shame. I identify with His pain. I identify with His suffering. And I follow Him. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, brothers and sisters, before the crown comes the cross. Before the gain of glory comes the pain of suffering. Before eternal life comes the death that is offered to us in discipleship. We count ourselves as nothing. We count ourselves as dead. Our lives no longer belong to us. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and for His glory. True discipleship means self-denial. True discipleship means that we pick up our cross. And Jesus defines it in verse 25. Look there with me. He says, verse 25, He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Jesus is saying, give up the kingdom of self for My kingdom. You may think you'll protect and gain life by living for the kingdom of self, but you'll lose it. Eternal damnation. But if you'll give up what you can't keep anyway and live for My kingdom, you will find eternal life and abundant life here on earth. Remember what Jesus said? 
No one who forsakes father or mother, brother or sister, homes, houses, property, will not receive a hundredfold in the life to come. And he ends there, right? No. And in this life, you're saying, but I have given up my life for Jesus Christ. How have I received a hundredfold? Look around you. Mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, those who are willing to share what they have with you in the time of need. God has brought you in to His family. You see, God is no man's debtor. Jesus will owe nothing to no one. And if you will give up what you can't keep, you will find eternal life. I think it was Paul Tripp who said, we cling to this life and we cling to our selfish desires because we think we'll find true contentment there. But for the Christian and for the world, but specifically for the Christian, no contentment, no rest, no peace will ever come from trying to protect yourself, to keep those who are at need at bay, to live only for yourself. But if you want to start living the abundant life, if you want God to do a deeper work in your life of discipleship, begin to let the messy people into your life. Begin to let the troubled ones into your life. Begin to sacrifice things so you can go and help someone in need pack up their house and move. Be willing, like the ladies of our church, I'm so proud of them, they, they took the side-by-side theme of the well and they turned it into a ministry. They've spent time here working in the church and last Friday at Donna's house to clean her house. What do they gain from that? The joy of knowing that they have pleased their Heavenly Father. True discipleship means self-denial. True discipleship means bearing the cross and very quickly, finally, true discipleship means persevering in obedience to the end. It means follow Jesus and keep following Him. It's not that we made a decision 20 years ago, I'm going to follow Jesus and we do nothing about it. No, following Jesus is waking up every day and consciously saying, my life belongs to you. God, forgive me for my disobedience. I'm here to try it again by Your grace and by Your strength to be what You've called me to be. I'm going to follow You. Whatever the cost, whatever the trial, whatever the cross, I'm going to follow You, Jesus. This sounds like a hard way to live. You know why it sounds that way? Because it is a hard way to live. Anybody who thinks they're going to walk through heaven's gates having sailed along on an easy, trouble-free life, will not end up at the gates of glory. It is a hard thing to possess the kingdom of God. And I'm not telling you that justification isn't by faith alone. I'm telling you because God has justified you by faith alone. It's represented by every person in the Bible who believed the Lord Jesus Christ from Old Testament to New Testament that once He saves you, you're going to have to walk the way of suffering. Jesus is not the only one that gets a cross. 
He's not the only one that walks the Via Della Rosa. Thank God He walked the one that bought our redemption. We could never walk that one. But now we have to be identified with that. Now we have to live for that. Now we have to be willing to let go of our sons and our daughters to mission fields and to difficult places. I love my son, but I don't want to love him more than I love Jesus if I've got to let him go to a dangerous part of the world someday. I want to be able to let him go. Look in your house. What does your house tell you? I mean your personal residence. Is it enshrined with things just for you and for your pleasure? Or is the story that your house tells is it exists for Jesus Christ? My doors are open to the church members. My doors are open to my neighborhood. What I have is not mine. It's Christ's. It sounds hard because it is hard. But if God's grace is upon us, and it is, He's enabled us to live this way. As we learn to live this way, that true discipleship is self-denial, bearing the cross, persevering to the end, we will come to the end of our lives and realize He deserves all the glory because as we persevered, He kept us. He preserved us. He watched over us. He enabled us to sacrifice. He enabled us to give. And all the glory will be His. Friends, this call went out to the crowd by Jesus, but it also went out to the disciples. It goes out to the disciples today so that we remember that serving Jesus doesn't mean it's not going to cost us anything. It means laying down our lives, saying, You are Lord, and all I have is Yours. To the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Father, we praise You. And we thank You for Your goodness and grace to us. I pray, Lord, that we would have confidence in the grace that You cause us to stand in. That we would have confidence in the power of Your Word. That we would have confidence that Your grace will preserve us and keep us. And it frees us now to go and live a life of abandonment to ourselves. Abandoning ourselves, abandoning, abandoning our agendas, and serving you. Oh God, give us hearts that reflect that here at Redeemer. I thank you for how it, it's evident in this church, and I pray to be even more evident as we learn the cost of discipleship, but knowing that we will never give up anything that's really worth keeping in the end, but we will gain everything. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.